We're going to begin. I know, I know we've all had an hour less sleep, or most of us have. So we're going to begin with a test. I just want to check that you're sharp. And we're going to look at a series of symbols, uh, a series of symbols which um, communicate something. I'd love you to dwell on. You might even want to speak out what these symbols communicate. So let's look at our first symbol. I think I heard the word Christmas. That is indeed the right word. That symbol of a stocking communicates something about Christmas. One for the kids as well here. What's the next symbol? That's a topical symbol in case you're struggling. That's Easter. That's an Easter egg. Um, and, uh, and so that's an, our next symbol. We've got a third symbol. Semi-biblical in theme here. You see there's an allusion here to the fall in Genesis 3, but it is actually the apple symbol. Uh, some of you uh, may have an, a computer or some other device that's made by these people. There's a symbol. That's an apple symbol. What about this symbol? Taking the knee. This in the middle is Colin Kaepernick. And he was the first person to take the knee in the USA, responding to police brutality. And this is a symbol we see in our own sports teams and in our own culture today. It's a a symbol that reminds us of racial injustice. That's another symbol. And here's a final symbol. Maybe you've had this on your car uh, or similar. This is a fish. And it's one of the earliest symbols in Christianity. In fact, apparently what I heard is that what used to happen is that if you were in a place Uh, and you wanted to see if somebody else was a Christian, you would draw half of the fish on the floor in the dust. They would draw the other half, and that would symbolize your shared faith, a way of recognition. Symbols enable recognition. That's part of why we use them. They create the possibility for instant recognition. And that's why we have brands, brand identities about recognition. That's what symbols do. And because of this, they're really important in communication. What happens with symbols is they they enable us to communicate lots of things at once. Multiple levels of complexity can be spoken through a simple symbol. If I was to uh, use that other Christian symbol, the cross, and ask you what it meant, you might say it's love. Some of you might say it's justice, it's mercy, it's victory, it's sacrifice. Who's right? You're all right. Because all of those meanings and many more are communicated by the symbol of the cross. Now symbols, because of this, are rarely neutral. They have for us a powerful sense of meaning. They stir emotions. They're evocative. They're positive often or negative. Certain symbols, if I put them up today, uh, would cause consternation, cause perhaps offense. We've seen this in the States, haven't we? The Confederate flag, a a symbol, a flag which communicates something which is powerfully, powerful and offensive for many people. If I was to raise, and don't worry, I'm not about to, something like a swastika here, that would be something we would, we'd be repelled and repulsed rightly by that symbol. Now symbols, we, we need to say, aren't always used with integrity. We live in the world of virtue signaling or virtue symboling if you like. The world where actually if I put the symbol up, it's assumed that I actually believe in the symbol rather than I'm just doing it to make you think well of me. Now the Bible and particularly the ministry of Jesus are full of symbols. 
packed with symbols which communicate something essential about who Jesus is and what he's up to. But the problem we have often, 2,000 years distant from the world of the Bible, is that the symbols don't mean so much to us. And so we can miss some of the meaning that's communicated. And today we're going to look at a story that's rich in symbol. As we see King Jesus coming into Jerusalem, we see a whole range of symbols which communicate something about his identity and his mission. Let's look at those symbols together as we jump into John chapter 12. Here's what we read from verse 12. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. The next day. Now, Lisa answered the question, what happened the previous day? Well, for those that don't know, John's gospel is structured around a set of symbols. There are seven symbols. In fact, John uses the word signs, but they're symbolic. They're real events which have rich, symbolic, communicative meaning. They communicate something about who Jesus is. And one of the signs is Jesus has just been up to, which is the sign of the healing, the resuscitation of Lazarus, this Dead man has been raised again to life. And this communicates that Jesus is indeed the resurrection of the life. That's the symbolic meaning. And just before, as we see Lazarus raised, uh, after in fact Lazarus being raised, we see a whole lot of tension in the air. Because this symbol, this uh, movement of the kingdom through Jesus causes offense. It causes people who aren't in line with that kingdom to want to shut it down. There is great tension in the air as a result of that symbolic act. And so uh, the the chief priests, the Jewish leaders are looking to shut down the movement and to crush both Jesus and in fact Lazarus, poor Lazarus, just been raised uh, to life again, resuscitated by the word of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit and now the Jewish leaders are after him. They don't want the proof of Jesus' powerful kingdom at play. And we see uh, in the moment of uh, this next day that the great crowd has come and gathered at the festival. And so there's another symbol, the symbol of this festival. What is the festival? The festival is the Jewish festival of Passover. And what would happen at Passover is that God's People would remember and reenact and celebrate and enter into again the first Passover where they were decisively liberated from slavery. Not just spiritual slavery, real slavery, oppressed by Pharaoh and the Egyptians and God with his mighty hand and his outstretched arm grabbed them and plumped them on plumped plopped who knows what he did he just moved them through the sea to the other side into safety liberation and rescue it was such a powerful celebration such powerful symbols the romans were so afraid of the revolutionary ferment going on that they would station extra guards in jerusalem just to stop an uprising That was how powerful it was. What symbols, what festivals, what celebrations. And many had come to gather at this festival on this the next day. And these crowds with all of this stirring in their minds, all of these symbols coursing through their minds and even, dare I say it, through their veins, 
Because symbols get inside of us, don't they? They come and they hear that Jesus is coming, the great preacher, the one who claims to be the resurrection, the life, the one who may in fact be the Messiah. They hear that he's coming and they go out to meet him before he gets there. And before he gets there, they start singing and they start praying and they start waving. (laughs) What a symbol. Palm fronds. You know, maybe you grew up in church, and this is a favorite in the Anglican churches I grew up in. You make, in kids' church, you make the little crosses out of palms, and you've got no idea what you're doing. And they sit in the window of your house for the next year, <laughs> doing absolutely nothing. Well, these symbols, these palm symbols have more powerful meaning than that. These symbols are indicative of kingship. They're particularly symbolic of the coming of the king. There was one particular occasion when somebody came into Jerusalem who claimed to be Messiah. His name was Judas Maccabeus. Just say that, Judas Maccabeus. What a name. You're looking, maybe you're having a child soon. Let me ask you to consider Maccabeus. What a strong, strong name. And he came into Jerusalem claiming to be the Messiah, claiming to be king. This is in 164 BC. And he routed the pagan invaders and he liberated them and he cleansed the temple. And his followers, as they came into Jerusalem, were waving palm fronds, waving palm branches. The king has come, they said. And there were the palms, waving in the wind. Could it be? As the crowds grasp those palms, which uh, they remembered usually at Hanukkah, could it be that they were saying, like Judas, one has come here to claim and cleanse the temple? Well, we know Jesus has already done that in John's gospel. But could it be that this is one like that one, a king who's come to make things new? Then the symbol of their voices, they raise their voices and they say, Hosanna! Only they don't say it, they sing it and they shout it. And this word Hosanna comes from a Psalm 118. And that Psalm is from a set of Psalms, 113 to 118, called the Hallel. Six Psalms from the, that we get Hallel, we get Hallelujah from that word. Psalms of praise, Psalms that would be sung near Passover, Psalms which communicated the symbol of freedom, the symbol of deliverance. And this particular psalm is so beautiful, I'm going to read it, some of it. The stone the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us. Hosanna. Hosanna means save us. Save us, we beseech you. We, we ask you, oh Lord, oh Lord, we beseech you. Give us success. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Bind the festal procession with branches, with palm branches. Up to the horns of the altar. This is a picture of procession. What procession? The procession celebrating the coming of a king. And in Psalm 118, it's clear that the coming of the king would be joined with shouts of Hosanna, prayers for salvation, and palm branches being waved in the air. Do you see the symbols? Do you see what they say? Forget the symbols. Can you feel? Can you feel the anticipation? 
Can you feel, can you sense the spiritual hunger in the air? Can you? Can you taste it? The atmosphere? I wonder if it'll feel like this when we're able to go to a sports game again. (laughs) Please, Lord, a sports game. Please, the Champions League final. Please, City, in it. Will it feel like that? Will it feel the anticipation, the longing? And the crowds go out, and before Jesus shows up, they're shouting Hosanna. They don't wait, they don't see him and shout it, they're shouting it. Then he comes, their hunger, their longing, their shouts, these symbols, it's like they draw him in. And here he comes, and he sees them, and he responds in the most surprising way. As they throw out this welcome party for the king. Jesus responds and he does the most crazy thing as they welcome him as king. As These symbols indicate to us that's what they're doing. This Passover people cry out for a king to come and rescue them again. Just as God rescued them at the first Passover. Rescue us again God from the pagans, from the Romans who are oppressing us. And here for the first time we see Jesus taking a symbol. So far, all the symbols have been the crowd symbols, but now we have Jesus with a symbol of his own. A donkey. (laughs) A what? A what? A donkey. Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it. Clearly what he has in mind, and and John picks this up for us, is Zechariah 9.9. Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming. Seated on a donkey's colt, on a young donkey. That's the symbol. Jesus knew the symbol, but the point at the moment is that nobody else had that symbol in their minds. They were looking and awaiting a king, a military victorious king, presumably someone who was like Judas Maccabeus, but who finished the job, who wasn't crushed just months or weeks later. Jesus is the most surprising thing in the context of the rest of his ministry. He accepts the symbol. They say he's the king. He says, yes, I am. But he modifies it. Uh, To use a, a word, he subverts it. He turns it on its head. And he's saying to them, yes, I'm a king, but not the kind of king that takes up position on a horse. I'm the donkey kind of king. (laughs) I'm a humble king. Uh, Donkeys spoke of humility rather than royalty. Maybe even of weakness. Remember Mary making her own journey on a donkey. A virgin traveling in great weakness and vulnerability to Bethlehem. And Jesus takes up the same posture as Mary here, riding in on a donkey. He's subverting, he's misdirecting. Yes, he's coming as king, but he will not allow his kingship to be defined by the crowds. He will not allow his kingship to be defined by the pagans. He's not going to allow his kingship to be defined by anyone else but himself. Yes, he's come to save, but he's come to save from sin. And he's come not as a military man, but as a slain lamb. This is what his kingship looks like. And we see the same 
thing are represented in one final image, one final set of symbols, and those set of symbols are seen in Revelation 7. I'm gonna read a few lines from this. Here's what we read. After this I looked, John again, and, and there was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation. Here's a multiracial people gathered in the presence of God in the very throne room of God, and here they are, worshiping the one, the king who is on the throne. It says they're from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, robed in white, speaking of purity, with palm branches in their hands. They cried out in a loud voice saying, salvation belongs to our God, Hosanna, Hosanna. But not crying for a salvation at this point that is yet to come, but a salvation that has come. Salvation, they say, belongs to our God. Who is seated on the throne? Who is the God? Who is the king seated on the throne? It's none other than the lamb who was slain. The lamb who was slain, the lamb who still is slain. The lamb who rode on the donkey, he's the king. And so the angels and the elders bow down and worship. Here we have a vision, a symbolic vision of what it's going to look like to worship Jesus. We have a symbolic vision of the rescue of Jesus. And yes, there are horses. There are horses in Jerusalem. There are horses even in Revelation. But at the heart of the worship of Christian people is a slain lamb. And the salvation affected by the King Jesus is the salvation of his cross and his resurrection. This is how God has chosen to save. Riding on the back of a donkey taking up the cross for us. The slain lamb wins the victory. Even in the triumphal entry, that's the message that's encoded in the symbols. Can you see it? Can you see it? The poor disciples, they couldn't see it. Not at the time, anyway. It says, at first his disciples did not understand all this. Well, Let's give them a break. How could they? They were caught up in the powerful movement of all the other symbols. And they failed to see the significance of the symbol that Jesus used, the donkey. But when they looked back, they remembered Zechariah. And they said, ah, that's what he was doing. That's what he was saying. You see, their expectations, the fanfare... The religious momentum stood in the way of them seeing Jesus come. Seeing the fullness of how he was revealing himself. He was going to do it differently. They hoped he would save them from Rome, but really he had another enemy he was taking on. Sin, darkness, death, and Satan. And if we're honest, we're guilty of the same from time to time, are we not? As disciples of Jesus, we're guilty of allowing our expectations for how God will show up in our lives to crowd out the reality of how God is actually moving in our lives. 
Even our best prayers, even our uh, lifelong hopes can crowd out what God is trying to do among us. Uh, For me, this entire pandemic needs to be filed under the category of things I didn't see coming in my best praying. (laughs) You know, I have been praying personally for a personal renewal in my faith since probably the age of 15, uh, uh, a moment where God would grasp my life and, and do something radical with it. I've wanted him to uh, clear away any obstacle that stands in the way of me and him to to give to me an intimacy, the kind of intimacy with him that Moses had, that that Jesus had, that the great saints uh, refer to, so I could receive more of him, a greater level of spiritual authority, a greater anointing on my life, a greater use for his kingdom. These are some of the things that I've longed in my heart for, for, for longer than I dare even mention. And I've been very clear with Jesus. (laughs) I've been very clear on the timing. I've been very clear on what it will look like. I've said, Jesus, I want this to look like an overwhelming experience of your glory. I want to be caught up in the third heaven, maybe the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh. Let's just, let's not talk about which heaven. Let's just agree that it's one one of the seven. (laughs) <laughs> I want there to be an over, overwhelming, I want to be knocked on my back. I don't, just, uh, hours would be great, just of overwhelming, like moody, like, uh, at the end of it, let me say stop, because it's so overwhelming and powerful. You know, like the great men and women of God, I wanted a horse. And all I've been given is this pesky pandemic pony. And in it, God has been revealing more powerfully to me than I ever dared imagine my weakness, my dependence, my need for him. And in it, he's been renewing my faith. At least I think that's what he's been doing. It hasn't been glorious. It's not really been very clear. It has felt like doubt, darkness, faith, hope, despair. Trial, tribulation, joy, suffering, elation, and most of that in the last week. He's come riding into my life on a humble donkey. Perhaps he's doing the same with you. Perhaps you're a grandparent. You've been separated from the children, the grandchildren you love the most kept from any meaningful connection with your loved ones for over a year now. Perhaps in the midst of that tribulation, in the midst of that suffering, actually God is inviting you into a deeper connection with him than you ever dared imagine was possible. You wanted the horse and he's given you the donkey. Maybe you're a student and you imagined your university years to be the best years of your life. (laughs) And there you are, sat in your room sat in the room in your parents' household, experiencing constraint like you never imagined possible. Perhaps God actually is birthing in you the seeds of a spiritual liberation that won't just be for your benefit, but for the benefit of your generation. Perhaps you are a worker. Perhaps 
You are somebody whose work has defined them and you found yourself on furlough, found yourself working from home, stripped out of the environment that's defined and given you a sense of identity and clarity about your purpose. Maybe God is digging deeper, excavating deeper purpose, deeper identity, deeper mission. Church, this is how Jesus comes. Yes, he comes in glory and he will Come in glory again to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. But so often he arrives riding on a humble donkey. And if we can't see it, we might miss him. Don't miss him. Let us not miss him. And so this week as we journey into Holy Week, pay attention Pay attention, not for what you're expected, but for what he's doing. Where is he showing up to us? Riding on a donkey. Let's look, even as we await his rescue. Amen.